Life Management Science Labs would like to acknowledge that we live and produce this podcast on the traditional lands of the Wurundjeri people. We'd also like to acknowledge the traditional owners of the lands of our listeners and our international colleagues. We'd like to thank and pay our respects to their elders, past, present and emerging. Hello everyone and welcome to Bouncing Back, the personal resilience science insights podcast produced by LMSL, the Life Management Science Labs. We are champions of life management science, providing structured insights informed by science and inspired by practice on key aspects of conscious living. Each week we bring you scientific and practical insights on each element with the expert knowledge of professionals in the field. Let's get started. Hi everyone and welcome. I am your host Tia Hama and today we are going to be discussing the science of self-regulation and how this affects your personal resilience. I'm here with Cara Dinley. Cara, how are you today? I'm really well Tia. Thanks for having me. <laughs> That's great. Thank you so much for being here. Um, whereabouts are you at the moment? I'm in Melbourne. Yeah. Oh, wonderful. Oh, it looks such like such a nice weather out your window. It's not what I'm getting here from the studio. Okay. <laughs> now, you've had a very um, interesting personal life. So before we start, um, for those who don't know you, do you mind explaining a bit about um, who, who you are and what it is you do? Yeah, sure. Uh, so I started out as a performer, as a dancer, singer, actor, in uh, professional musical theatre. Oh, triple threat. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> exactly. Um, and so, yeah. yeah, I trained as a child and as a teenager and I went straight into becoming a performer mm. at the age of 18 <laughs> and uh, performed oh, wow. in eight shows a week for 10 years, nonstop almost. Um, oh, my gosh. So I was really lucky to do that, um, but I was very tired by the end of it because performing eight shows a week. Yeah. It sounds like not very much, but there's a lot of rules and a lot of um, preparation that goes into it. You need to look after your your voice all the Mm. time and look after your body. Yeah. There's a lot (laughs) of extra stuff that goes in. And so Mm. I did that. And, uh, but what happened was at the start of my career, I um, got a really bad back injury and it was so bad. I had like four or six weeks off. Um, and it was my first show and I was 18 and I was like, um, Oh no. (laughs) Yeah. Really. I've been there. Scared about what that was going to mean. And, um, I went to all different, Mm. uh, specialists about it and nothing really helped until I started doing Pilates. And so that was my first step into mind, body. I love Pilates. (laughs) Yes. Yeah. It's a bit of a thing, isn't it? Um, So it was wonderful for me because I built this relationship with my body that I hadn't had. You see, you expect as a dancer. Yeah. I was trained in all different styles and in classical ballet, like it was a really solid training. You would expect that I would have a good relationship with my body and I did, but there are, there's always gaps, you know, to training. Um, and so, you know, back then it's 20 years ago. Um, I, there wasn't very much information about core strength. I was very flexible and so, um, ended up getting injured quite easily. Um, 
when it came down to doing so many performances each week in high heels and, you know, all of this sort of stuff. So my gosh, yeah, exactly. (laughs) Yeah. And heavy costumes, really heavy costumes. My first show was Beauty and the Beast Mm -hmm. and I was center plate. So, um, we had, I had this plate on a backpack on my back. Um, oh, that would have weighed so much. Yeah. And while it was only for a small amount of the performance, it was, um, Mm. I, I guess it just gives an example of the kinds of, um, weights and momentum that you're carrying anyway so look that was my first foray into pilates and it was so effective for me much more than any any kind of going to somebody else to get me fixed um that I yeah right became um I trained in it to become a practitioner and so I'm a certified pilates instructor and have been ever since my early 20s um, you know, and, and that was cool. the first step. And then I moved into, uh, learning more about yoga and, um, and became a, a yoga instructor also. And so I did this, you know, alongside yeah. my performing work and then continued, um, after I finished performing at the age of 28, I, uh, continued really that kind of mind body education um, with groups and one-on-one and, uh, yeah. And then I actually took a little bit of a, a shift in, in focus and, um, went back to do some more study. I went and did my masters of directing for performance and I ended up having to do an, uh, like an apprenticeship part of that. And uh, I went overseas to Poland and worked with a, a theatre company called The Song. Oh, wow. Yeah, and they really focused on body and voice, which coming from musical theatre, mm. I was really interested in how do we coordinate the, um, the body and the voice um, and, and also in yeah. song and text. Um, how do we really make authentic sounds and and authentic movements and create expressive arts that move people in their bodies and minds when they watch it you know that it's a visceral experience how do we do that so I was always really interested in how do we coordinate all of the different parts of ourselves you know um how do we integrate our whole so that we're communicating authentically and um because when we communicate authentically yeah we really impact other people. You hear it in people's voices yeah. um, when they're speaking from the heart. It's a, it has a particular quality to it. And so I was learning about how yeah. do we coordinate these things. Um, but in that process, I got really into somatic practices, um, which are essentially conscious body practices. Um, so... Um, okay yeah yeah and and so you so there are lots of different ways of moving into body consciousness um but what I did over there there was a lot of different shaking and um and uh 
practices which bring you to your internal state, so sensing the oscillation yep. of, of energy moving through your body. And so basically increasing awareness so you're then able to, I guess, use that in your performance. But what I noticed as I began to learn these yep. practices and then deliver them to people in groups was that some people actually doing these kinds of deep body practices ended up moving into a state of um, perhaps you could call it they had something like an ab reaction. It was very small, but basically what they would experience was either maybe feeling a little bit sick or maybe feeling um, like they couldn't feel into their bodies. So, so you'd have a very small percent. I might have, may never happen, but now and again, I'd get one person in the session that would report feeling somehow uncomfortable. And you could tell from the way they explained it that it was kind of a deep response. So I started to look more into this and basically I realised that what was happening was that this kind of shaking, loosening movements and deep sensing ended up um, for some people bringing up trauma and what ends up happening yeah, right. um, is trauma does get stuck in the body. Um, so while we have yeah. a, a, a brain record, let's say, of trauma, um, really the experience of trauma is in the tissues of the body um, quite often. And mm. so there are particular yeah, wow. techniques like TRE, is a technique that is uh, about trauma release and it is a lot about shaking, which I didn't know yeah. about before doing these practices. So, but yeah, wow, as, that's so interesting. Yeah, yeah. What I realised though as I was moving into it was that, oh, I'm doing a practice that can bring up trauma but I'm not um, equipped from... Um, you know, an educational or on a practitioner level to take care of this level of presentation, if you know what I mean. So I felt like it was my responsibility to look further into this, um, all of this. um, Oh, wow. and, And so, yeah, so look, that's been my... It's a funny old line, but that's how I got where I am <laughs> yeah. right now. Um, and I started to look further and further into Incredible. trauma, how it presents in the body, different somatic yeah. practices that um, are undertaken to address the holistic nature of trauma. And um, and then I found yeah. havening techniques, which is what I am certified in now. And it's, oh, wow. um, it's yeah. probably one of the most powerful and new ways of addressing trauma holistically. So mind, body, uh, emotional, yeah. So I think, I hope that. That's incredible. That is so amazing. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, no, that was so, yeah, so interesting just to sort of see how all of those things have, yeah, been interconnected and interwoven into your life. And, yeah, that's so awesome. So. Now we're going to do some 
um, get to know you questions. This is essentially for the audience to get to know the guests a little bit better. Um, so I'm just going to ask you some questions. So what is a recent book you've been reading? I just finished Abundance by Deepak Chopra and um yeah that was a wonderful because I I don't often I haven't read uh, Deepak before and Mm, yeah I just uh I was attracted to it because I was doing uh, research on abundance for my for my work you know yeah and uh and he just brought out this book it's it was released in March this year and so I highly recommend it. Um, I got my best friend onto it straight away and she loved it. And now we're all like <laughs> abundance this, abundance that. But, oh, awesome. Um, yeah. <laughs> yes. That's great. We'll have to read it. Um, my next question is a movie you would recommend. Um, uh, look, Inception is a fantastic movie, I thought. Uh, do you know it? Oh, I love that movie. Yes. Oh my goodness. <laughs> yeah, I remember. So incredible. I was like, oh wow, it was really like very clever the way that it uh, yeah unfolded. Mm. Yeah, it is super incredible. It's just oh, I love that movie. Everybody, go watch it. It's so good. It's so great. <laughs> um, my next question is your favorite podcast. Throughline is my favorite podcast. Yeah, do you know that one? No, I don't know. What's that about? It's um, it's it it it, it reframes history. So I don't know about you, but oh, wow. at school <laughs> we kind of learn about the Middle Ages. <laughs> we learn about like nothing yeah. at all <laughs> recent or relevant, really. And um, so yeah. I just feel like I'm history starved, you know, and from a really critical mm. perspective. Yeah. And so there are two, it's, yeah. it's an NPR, but it's um, produced, oh, no, the journalists are Rund and Ramatin, and they have just, they bring along some fantastic um, experts and it just feels really like there's a range of people that have been involved and it's not just like some kind of mainstream focus, you know, just the, oh, this is what they said, so this is what we put in the, you know. So like I, some of the um, podcasts yeah, that come to yeah. mind, they talked about, you know, the the repeated use of opioids um, over, you know, in history and how they've often come up. You know, like that was really interesting. And also about... Um, South Korea and North Korea and how that all sort of came about and uh, the Middle East. So, yeah, there's a real range. Yeah. That's so interesting. What's that one called? It's called Through Line and you'll find through it. Line. Um, okay, I guess. awesome. I'll definitely have to give that one a listen. Yeah, through NPR. Mm. Perfect. Great. So my next question is um, who is your fav- famous role model? Yeah, I, to be honest, I don't really have one like that. I, not a famous role model. I have plenty of role models in my, <laughs> yeah. 
immediate life and um, or maybe not immediate life but certainly, you know, a couple of degrees of separation, people that I admire, look up to and aspire to, lots of those people, but certainly nobody famous, yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Fair enough, honestly, yeah. When you have the people in your circle who just give you all the inspiration and the love that you need, you don't have to go too far. Yeah. Which is great. Okay, so my next question, um, what is a course you have completed? Yeah, so I think I mentioned the Masters of Directing for Performance at um, the University of Melbourne. I mentioned that because I guess you wouldn't expect it coming from like what my what I currently do, um, but it's amazing yeah. how uh, all of my theatre background in, informs what I do now and it's all transferable. Like so much of what I do now is about sensing into the body, reading people's body language, facial expressions and coming and not reading them as in, you know, we're making any assumptions, but being able to (laughs) (laughs) to, um, to notice postural shifts, you know, and to be able to see the detail of those things. That's a really big and important aspect of what I do these days. So, you know, while for many years I was like, what are all these different things I'm doing? How do they come together? Now they all come together in a way that makes sense to me. Yeah. <laughs> That's so awesome. Yeah. Oh, I love it. That's great. So um, as I already mentioned today, we are discussing self-regulation and more specifically how we can build resilience mm-hmm. um, in the face of things like chronic trauma and pain. Mm-hmm. So to start off with, um, for our listeners, Kara, how would you define personal resilience? Yeah, it's a really great question because sometimes I notice that this word resilience is interpreted in many different ways some people um yeah respond quite badly to it because I think it's been used interchangeably with strong sometimes people say oh come on be resilient yeah which kind of means get over it and be strong (laughs) right um and so I think sometimes but if you look at the etymology of the word resilience it has re and silience which is like salience so it's like a leaping and so the 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 idea that we can rebound is within the word and within the etymology of the word so the idea of um us being elastic that we we have this um we have neuroplasticity and we have elasticity in our bodies yeah yeah innately able to to respond to things and um so resilience is really being able to be fluid in our response so I think a big thing about um regulation because I know we'll get to that but but really that's about when we become dysregulated we're no longer able to be flexible in our response. So ideally, we want to be able to be like yeah. chilling out, 
then realize, oh, this is the time I need to go. And then we activate, we do that. And then, oh, I, oh the bus isn't there. Ah, oh, what do I do now? I don't lose the plot and I'm not like rushing around. I'm not kind of, you know, like um, everything sort of really activated. Yeah, yeah. We can move into an overactivated state and um, that moves us towards fight, flight, and uh, that's a kind of mm, yeah. nervous system response, right? But we can also move towards freeze. So, for example, yeah. I see the time. I know what's coming up. Oh, I've got the podcast with Tia. Oh, and I'm scared. I'm going to sit on the couch. Yeah. <laughs> 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 like that could be a response. Yeah. Um, so, so that and that moves us towards the freeze state. So we have all of these different kind of graduations of responses and if we're able to go oh no I forgot my my phone gotta go back it's okay I'll get it I've got the time oh well I I don't have the time I'll just tell someone so that I'm 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 running late it's cool you know so so when we got when we've got this kind of sense that it's all going to be okay if there is an obstacle I'm going to be able to yeah I, I I trust in myself enough that I know I can move into that um, and, you know, take the consequences and have compassion for myself and others, you know, that, that, that's, that sort of flexibility is what I see as resilience. Um, yeah, and so that has a lot to do with our nervous wow. system but also to do with our, our brain you know, the way that um, we encode yeah. things. Yeah. So I might stop there because I think so, we talk more about this stuff, yeah. <laughs> yeah, of course, that, that kind of goes into my next question, mm-hmm. which is um, how do you think uh, self-regulation affects um, personal resilience? From yeah. what you've just defined, like how do you think those two interact? Yeah, like I was, I was thinking about this actually, and I'd almost define self-regulate the ability to self-regulate or to be in a self-regulating state as resilience, um, because what we really have is this primary underlying unconscious system on our autonomic nervous system. And it's responding, it's constantly scanning the environment 24-7 for our survival. So it's very interested in threats, any kind of threat to our survival, whether it's perceived or real. So, you know, uh, it can be threats to our reputation even or our, um, you know, anything that's going to, place us in a position where we're fearful of others or fearful of the situation, Um, once we move into that kind of a threat place, our nervous system starts to respond really differently. But also, it's also looking for opportunities. So, you know, where are we going to (laughs) eat? You know, it's kind of really basic. Yeah. (laughs) And so all of this is going on unconsciously 
And it affects what we call our body-brain landscape, or sometimes I refer to it as the the mind-body, which is an electrochemical system, our body. It's, um, you know, information comes into our body through waves, through frequencies, um, different frequencies like temperature, for example, um, will hit our skin or not hit it, but <laughs> will be absorbed into the skin and and then it's transmitted <laughs> into yeah. like an electrical form which moves through our bodies and is passed along neural networks which are like super information highways. And, um, yeah. and when we receive certain messages or signals from stimuli, our bodies convert the electrical information into chemicals. And so there's this electrochemical conversation constantly going on that is completely unconscious to us. We're not aware of it. Mm. And uh, so, so mm. and, but that kind of electrochemical system forms the underlying base for everything that we do, how we get around each day. And so, but it's constantly changing, as you might imagine. Yeah. It depends. Um, so really what we're looking at is self-regulation, is sensing into that system, feeling when it is perhaps getting overactivated or underactivated, so moving into that fight or yeah. flight or freeze. And it's self-regulating when we're never very far away from what we would call homeostasis, which is that ability to be flexible and responsive. It's fine to get a little bit angry about something yeah. that may have been done that was somehow not great, yeah? Um and it's fine to get a little bit upset yeah. <laughs> about this or that. Emotions are really important that but we want to be able to move into them but also move out of them. So dysregulation is only the is only becomes an issue when we get stuck in a place of it might be either defensiveness through which moves us towards fight or anxiety which moves us into flight or that kind of freeze state. So if we get stuck in those places we would say that that's dysregulation. And if we get stuck in them, it means we're not moving back to that homeostasis, that self-regulating place. And so what starts to happen is we get overloaded with stress if we get stuck. And that puts a really large drain on our system Mm. um, if we're never coming back to basically because fight, flight and freeze are our sympathetic nervous system. So that's overactivation or underactivation but we have the other part of our nervous system too which is the parasympathetic nervous system which is rest and digest so we really need to be in that rest and digest in it um to to balance obviously the activation so yeah definitely yeah so my next question is kind of about um how self-regulation um, sort of supports resilience 
in the midst of um, trauma, whether that's been, um, you know, a natural disaster or you've been faced with, um, you know, you've been exposed to some, some kind of violence. Mm-hmm. Um, and even just in those like physical aspects as well as those mental aspects, you know, if, when you've become injured and those kinds of things like you've talked about already, um, how does self-regulation supportive um, sort of support our resilience? That's what I'm trying to say um, in the midst of those things. Yeah, sure. So look, if you're like self-regulation, what is that for a start? Um, so it can be many things. There's many ways to self-regulate. So I think one of the most important parts of self-regulation is being aware of um, your mind-body system. So being aware of when my heart starts to beat faster, when my temperature goes up in my cheeks, when I start to get yeah. tense or feel pain or nausea in response to doing something or in response to an emotion. So when we're, when we're able to notice those aspects of our electrochemical system changing, what we're then able to do is m- move into some kind of activity um, or a place, an environment that's going to help us move back into that self-regulating place of homeostasis where we're relaxed and alert. So that's how we feel when we're, when we're self-regulating. Um, and so, but we can easily move into any kind of response, um, also. So, in the midst yeah. of a natural disaster or having exposed some kind of violent situation, um, your ability to understand kind of what I was speaking about earlier was that while this really intense thing is happening right now, I can move myself into a safe place or there is a safe place coming soon. Now, that can be almost impossible to do yeah. in a traumatic situation. Quite often we're unable to do that. However, if we've been practising self-regulating techniques, we're more likely to be able to move back to a self-regulating place as quickly as possible. So, for example, if after witnessing yeah, okay. kind of violent situation or a natural disaster, then if you have particular self-regulating practices, for example, going for a walk in nature, Mm. it's one of the easiest and um, most beautiful things you can do, particularly if you do it in a mindful way. I guess what's important with all of this is the approach you take and not so much what you do because we can give ourselves a really long list of things that we need to do to self-regulate. Mm, yeah. I need enough sleep. I need enough uh, exposure <laughs> yeah. to daylight hours. I need to not drink so much caffeine. I need to not eat heaps of sugar. I need to eat so that I fuel my body. You know, there's a very long list of things that we can self-flagellate rather than self-regulate about. Okay. Mm, However, yeah. if we approach those things with that same flexible elasticity of resilience, yeah, it's okay if I have a little cake today because I'm not going to do that every day. You know what I mean? Or whatever it might be. So, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Hard time about 
where we're at because we want to be able to be changing. You know, life's pretty boring if we're just, you know, monotone, just keeping to that thing all the time. It's sort of like that can really, I think, harm our spirit <laughs> in a way. So, um, so yeah, what I would say definitely. is that, you know, and that's why I got into havening techniques because havening touch, which is the the primary um, sensory input of havening techniques. Yeah, I was about to ask you about this. Yeah. So havening techniques is really clever because it's you know it's it's doing what we what we what we always do we, we look at what's happened in the past what works and then why does it work and so havening techniques is based on EFT um which is tapping um so you, you tap and you would tap in different parts of your body on different parts of the um, meridians because it's based on eastern medicine um to to release phobias, to change state. So um, it's a way of self-regulating. It's, yeah, wow. it's yeah, the emotional freedom technique. Yeah. And so the creators of so, um, – sorry, go on. Yeah. No, no, no. I was just going to ask you sort of like more about it in terms of um, what the focus is in terms of like the strategy. With, with EFT? Yeah. Yeah, so really, um, like I don't, I'm not trained in it, so I, I've never actually practiced it. I just know it's the start of where um, havening techniques came from. But but basically, I know it's tapping. You tap in different um, parts of the body that are, that are along a meridian line okay. that has, um, you know, uh, the ability to shift your your electrochemical system that's not how an eastern um doctor would would talk yeah. to it but that's basically um what it does from a from a havening techniques point of view and so so the havening techniques yeah. creators the rudens dr rudin and dr rudin they're twins um steve and ron they uh, Ron was working yeah. with the, with EFT. He read about it and um, he found it to be incredibly um, effective in the treatment of trauma. Uh, sorry, in the treatment of phobias and um, and things like that. And so he then looked into it from a neuroscience point of view and uh, found. And now it's been proven that uh, the use of touch um and so havening techniques is um mainly at the moment using self-applied touch so using this kind of an action or um this kind of an action just so you can see me or this kind of an action (laughs) (laughs) yeah and so while it looks... Yes. For those who can't see Kara, she's like touching her, her arms and her face. Yes. Go, go check out the video version of this because it'll, it'll make a lot more sense because havening is a, it's a physical kind of um, technique, isn't it? Yeah, so we, we use these actions. So with the hands, it's like washing your hands and it's really slow and gentle and with the um, havening hug, they sometimes call it, is moving your hands from your shoulders down to your elbows 
again, in a gentle, repetitive motion. And then on the face, it can be really like you can just focus on taking your fingers across your forehead from the center to down beside the eyes or underneath the eyes. Again, very much like a washing action. And it's, but however, they're the specific diff kinds of havening touch that we use. But once you start to practice it, you can move into, um, you, you might find that you don't like to touch your face. Everybody's different, you know, and it's, um, that's okay. And it's been proven to be effective anywhere on the upper body. So that's kind of the only parameter. Oh, wow. Yeah. Um, so what yeah. happens with havening touch is that it looks kind of like this light thing and it's like, all right, that's going to help me, is it? <laughs> a little bit but what it's actually doing <laughs> is we've got skin receptors you know how I was talking earlier about the stimuli comes into the skin so the skin receptors yeah. receive the yeah. stimuli of this gentle slow touch and we are hardwired to know that this kind of touch is safe and because it's probably how we were looked mm. after as a little child or an infant, we, we were probably soothed yeah. in this way, you know. And so, but even if we haven't been, because yeah, we know obviously there are a lot of people born in adversity who may not have had this kind of um, gentle touch in their lives as an infant, still though, from an evolutionary point of view, we're hardwired to know that this kind of touch is uh, safe. And yeah. so what happens is, because this is like really fundamental to trauma um, and to self-regulation, is that safety is the most important thing for our body-mind systems. If our body-mind doesn't feel safe in our environment, then it's almost, it becomes increasingly difficult to self-regulate and almost impossible to make any kind of lasting internal or change from a mental, emotional and physical point of view. It's absolutely fundamental for people working one-on-one -on -one with, with uh, clients who have experienced trauma to ensure that that person feels safe in their body and their mind because really if they don't, mm. nothing can change yeah. because that person is really basically quite, quite yeah. likely in a, in a place of hypervigilance. You know how I was talking about their nervous system scanning for threats because they're so used to being kind of that, that body-mind in, um, in a threat situation. Mm. So... So getting back to havening touch, what this does is it generates a particular frequency, a particular electromagnetic wave, and that frequency is what signals the safe state, and we call that frequency a delta wave, which is the opposite to a gamma wave, which is a very high-frequency wave. The delta wave is a lower frequency wave. So it's the opposite to a gamma wave, which, which is what encodes a traumatic event or a very stressful event. 
So, you know, you can sort of almost get the sense of it in a, in an accident, you know, if there's been a big crash or something like that, um, you, you almost feel your body go, you know, like it gets really, um, it, it moves into hyper, um, focused and alert and activated state. And that's almost like a sense of the gamma wave. And that's what will encode with trauma um, whatever we see, the sensory inputs get um, sucked into our amygdala, the ancient reptilian part of our brain. <laughs> um, you know, in 50 milliseconds, yeah. the amygdala has sucked in all of the information, the sensory information. The amygdala is not interested in quality of life. It's only interested in what things do I need to be aware of in the future? What do I need to encode in order to protect this person in the future? And so that's basically a traumatic encoding mm. memory. So with the Haven in Touch, while it helps yeah. to within eight minutes, if you Haven Touch for consistently for eight minutes, you will release these this chemical combination which is dopamine oxytocin serotonin and endorphins and it will help you feel good and self-regulate within eight minutes now it can happen faster but that's the kind of approximate proven amount of time yeah um, where that delta wave, once it's coming into the system, will change the body-brain landscape. And if you do that, you will really feel it. You start to yawn. You start to, to sort of like just get kind of affable, you know. And because what it's doing is it's really <laughs> yeah. mimicking slow-wave sleep. Slow-wave sleep um, is when we normally would experience delta waves, and, um, and that's when we're processing things at night. And uh, so we never ordinarily as an adult would experience a delta wave frequency um, in our everyday lives awake. We would only, we only experience it during sleep. So to be able to generate it, what happens is we move those electroceuticals, the dopamine, oxytocin, serotonin and endorphins are released. And what happens is our electrochemical system becomes all of a sudden, rather than being stressed or underactivated, it moves into a place of being permissive. And that means it's open to change and change is possible. And that's where we're able to do really powerful work yeah. with havening techniques because we depotentiate, we reduce and recycle traumatically encoded um, receptors that, that, that physically grow in the brain like little mushrooms. So when we have, you know, I talked about that, um, the traumatic encoding of an accident, for example, when, when we have that gamma, gamma yeah. wave and the amygdala sucks in all of the sensory information, the colour of the car, the bridge, the, um, the, the, the smells, the tastes, the, um, you know, so sight, sounds, taste, uh, touch, all of the things that our senses feel in that moment, it encodes and we become this amazing pattern matching system. So any one of those things in the future might trigger us back into that moment. And so when we, so what yeah, right. is the little, 
it's like little mushrooms, <laughs> little mushrooms kind of grow in our, in our brain, <laughs> store that information. Yeah. And it's like a really fast learning. But it, what the problem with it, though, with the trauma is it becomes immutable. And that means that it doesn't naturally process because it was encoded because it was, it was too important. The amygdala, that, like, you know, ancient reptilian brain, was like, no, you have to remember this forever because it was too, it's too much of a threat for you to forget it. But unfortunately, sometimes that sensory information, yeah. the blue T-shirt, the bridge, means we get a bridge phobia or we don't like to go to, to we don't like blue things, you know, and it starts to diminish our lives. Yeah. Also, yeah. we can we can make uh, you know uh, create kind of assumptions around it, or you know certain beliefs that just aren't accurate, and it also diminishes our lives. So yeah. while so we, when we do a havening technique session, we reduce and recycle these threat receptors that are created during stressful or traumatic events. And then we potentiate, so we consolidate and learn new positive, um, healthful, helpful beliefs. And we do this also because while yeah, wow. the havening yeah. touch is really like um, it moves us into this permissive electrochemical state, it, it's, it's just as useful for um, optimising peak flow, you know, optimising the things that we really want because while, you know, beliefs might, um, we have limiting beliefs that say, oh, I can't do this or I can't do that, which might be born out of trauma or it might just be something that our parents have said to us or somebody said to us at some point. But the thing is uh, they're not helping us, you know, and, and so in this kind of a delta wave state, our perception of life and um, and how we operate in life is is flexible. Basically, we move into that elasticity state, and uh, and then we can sew in yeah. new beliefs. And we do that with different havening techniques. That um, so havening touch is always there, but there are different havening techniques that we use according to the presentation. So some of okay. the potentiation and some yeah. of the potentiation of optimal state. Mm. Right. So is this like something um, that people can perform by themselves or is it something that they sort of need guidance with a sort of health professional? And is there kind of any way that people can sort of um, decide for themselves which method is best? Yeah, so absolutely. So originally there was facilitated havening and there may still be at the moment, but because of COVID that had to stop. So that was essentially the uh, practitioner mm. literally touching the, the client's uh, hands and shoulders uh, or upper arm and face. So, so that was facilitated havening. And, but there's always been self-havening. So, yes, you can learn to do it yourself. And I actually train people to self-haven in my course. Okay. 
agile resilience and I teach people all about nervous system regulation, how the um, the brain-body conversation works from a neuroscience point of view and havening, uh, self-havening is learned within that and there's a lot of practical um, guidance yeah. and practice to, to, to gain that capacity. But what I would say is if you are somebody that has – um, it knows that they really want to address trauma or chronic pain, it's probably best to work with a certified practitioner one-on-one. Um, while I would absolutely yeah, okay. recommend self-havening for anybody and everybody to do every day, literally, I couldn't think of a better thing for, <laughs> yeah. for people to do than to do. Every day. Oh, wow. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Like I think people underestimate, like we're all like, let's go to the gym. Let's eat really well. But like, hang on, there's this electrochemical yeah. system that's informing everything we do. yeah right and if we can actually give it some good juice which essentially is this uh, is bringing it back into that self-regulating state by by doing the havening touch then what what happens is the body will remember that state so there's a woman who is the advanced um she is the advanced education uh, coordinator, perhaps is her is her her title, um, Dr. Kate Truitt for Havening Techniques, and she has this wonderful um, conceptual sort of picture to describe this the importance, I guess. So if you imagine those that information superhighway where uh, all of the electrochemical information is moving around our bodies, when we are um, you know, it's like how often do you do you drive to work or do you do you walk to the to to the train or something like that? How do you get to work? Catch yeah, public transport. I walk and then I catch like a bus or a right. train. So when you walk, do you walk the same way all the time? Yes. Okay, so what happens is when we when we take a particular path, we do tend to continue to take that path, right? We're a little bit, we're, we're habit forming. Um, and that's exactly what happens in yeah. our bodies. <laughs> if we, so if you imagine there's a s- s- information superhighway and it goes to um, a place called happiness and it goes to a place called sadness and a place goes to a place called joy, it goes to a place called inspired. Now, if we stop, going to those places, those cities or those villages, then they start to kind of die off, right? There's not sort of like the, um, the they, they say, say um, neurons that fire together, wire together, fire together. Yeah, and so it's basically meaning that. I love that. Yeah, yeah, it's, it's this. Uh, sort of catchphrase and um, so what it means is that we really want to be using what we want in our life yeah we want to be driving up that highway to that village as much as we can so we want to move into that self-regulating place of relaxed and alert as much as possible and we can do that within eight minutes with opening touch if we do that it becomes more familiar and it's more likely to be the place where we drive do you understand what I mean? 
Yeah, no, it makes complete sense. And it's so interesting just sort of those, that intersection of all those things. Like when you said, you know, we put such a prioritization on things like gym and healthy eating, but we also need those mental aspects when you're looking after yourself, whether that's through, you know, havening or if you're, you know, listening to, you know, a meditation podcast or something like that. They're all so required for the other to function, which I think makes so much sense why you're in this field <laughs> because you've had that experience in terms of the physical aspect of it and then the mental aspect of it and how it's all so interconnected. And you can't really neglect one without, like you said, just sort of you need it to be um, constantly functioning. It Yeah, it makes sense. Yeah, I'm really glad that you got that out of it because – yeah, it's perfectly kind of, yeah, brought together. I really think it's so important because as soon as we, like, and as you said, meditation is a wonderful form of um, bringing ourselves back into um, not doing. You know, we, we do so much doing and uh, it's, it's really important that we bring ourselves mm. back into our rest, digest state mindfulness is another really great way of bringing ourselves back into our um, rest digest state um, and yeah. and also self-regulating because we can be mindful doing anything walking do, do like I actually these days my aim yeah. is to be in a meditative or mindful state for the entire day you know because I have a past where I used to run around everywhere oh, wow. it was all about really you know, doing a million things, yep. <laughs> going fast, excelling. It was very, very high impact sort of life, you know. Now, as soon as I see myself rushing, I just I slow right down. I'm like, all right, let's move back into because the thing is before I, I know love that. it, I'm like a whirlwind, you know. So um, there are lots of ways we can self-regulate. It's just that havening touch is so powerful because it has that electroceutical release that really helps for people that can't because certain people don't feel safe in their bodies because of their experiences in, 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 in life. And so mm. havening touch starts yeah. to develop um, a, a a relationship with your body where you literally feel safe and it's something that is natural, it's easy to do, it's so easy to do, it's so easy to do, people won't do it. Do you know what I'm saying? It's like it's one of those things. Like even myself. <laughs> yeah, no, I get what you mean. was introduced to um, Havening Touch. It was, it was really such significant change that I immediately, you know, got online and I was like I need to – get certified in this I want I want to use this in you know this I want to share this with people yeah, and wow. uh, I used it very regularly for a while and then I was like I'm good I'm amazing now <laughs> I've changed my electrochemical landscape I feel able <laughs> to do things I'm seeing brighter colors I'm seeing a, a, a wider spectrum of of life I'm you know I, I can really feel a change but then yeah. what's so then you know life happens and and I stopped doing it as much and I did notice that um yeah it didn't take long before those old kind of patterns start to 
um, sneak back in. And, but it's not sort of like old patterns. It's mm. just life that, yeah. you know, we've got a very productivity driven life around us. And so if you let yourself, it's very easy to get pulled into external stimuli, you know, to get pulled this way and that. And so yeah. it's, I think a really big part of self-regulating is bringing yourself back into your center However you do that, whether it's by walking along the beach, whether it's by cuddling a doggy, I've got my doggies here on the couch, or whether it's by caring for plants or oh, lovely. a garden, you know, like all of that stuff. Um, there are many different ways to do it, but as long as you do it, I think it's just as important as the gym and the food and the, you know, like all of the things that have been really present mm. to our minds yeah. over the last 20 years. Definitely. It's like how about we start to move a little bit further into the internal state of our lives and really um, take care of that so that not only so that we don't all of a sudden feel pain and not know why. We don't all of a sudden because that's the that's the impact of dysregulation. We all of a sudden become so drained by getting stuck in a state of like that whirlwind or really overwhelmed we all of a sudden find ourselves like it's this burnout yeah um that we find ourselves in that state and we wonder why and it's because we kind of were like just disconnected from our bodies and and so not disconnected from our bodies in a physical way like I could still go for a run I could still you know do that physical stuff but I wasn't listening to the internal sensations (laughs) you know like um which is really our body's wisdom. And so that's that's kind of a level deeper that yeah. I think is a really big part of this process. Yeah. Definitely. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so that kind of leads us nicely into the next section where we're going to talk about sort of um, these practices and sort of making havening habit So I think first, like, it's probably helpful to kind of outline um, sort of like not so much the steps required for havening, but how can people sort of like start it and introduce themselves to it? Yeah, absolutely. So like, as I said before, um, if you're experiencing trauma, uh, it's best to go and see a certified practitioner um, and work with them one-on-one. If uh, you're somebody that simply wants to bring, you, you feel like, because really everybody with COVID has, you know, we were inundated with a really big threat for a couple of years and it hasn't finished really yet. So, mm, um, yeah. but so, so a lot of people, I speak to people like I'm fatigued. I'm so fatigued, you know, uh, that, and so really a lot of people I think right now are experiencing a state of, of being stuck with allostatic load, which is stress overload. And, um, that, you yeah. know, and we, that's where we get the brain fog. We get the, um, I don't know, skin issues. We get, you know, like all sorts of dis-ease starts to show up if we don't take care of it. And so, so there are a lot of people in that kind of inter- intermediary phase where they know that they're not feeling quite right and they do want to do something about it. So they're, they're heading to nervous system regulation. And so, yeah, like 
I offer to my clients that I see one-on-one a video channel, which helps them to implement Havening Touch daily. And um, I also am starting to um, uh, release that to the public. Um, And so basically it's a 10-minute video or audio each day and people can use that to just to follow. So it's a, it's a lead 10 minutes. And because as, as I said to you, you do need to do a, at least eight minutes. And while it doesn't have to happen every day, yeah. I just okay. really think that if you want to change your electrochemical system, if you know it's out of whack and you're invested in it, then that's the best way to go about it, using it eight minutes per day. And um, there are, you know, there's lots of different resources on online. There are different people that offer self-havening um, courses and uh, just make sure that they're a certified practitioner. And, um, yeah, there's lots of resources, but that, that's the resource that I that I recommend and I really think it's effective if you use it in that in that way daily Mm. yeah so when it comes to this and because from the sounds of it you're very familiar with it personally it's something that you've Mm. used and done Mm. what kind of challenges do you face when you practice havening self-havening um do you mean yes all right so that's a good question because uh when you're self-havening you might, so we do consolidation or potentiation um, protocols. So there are seven different protocols, I think. Um, That's why it's called havening techniques because there's a number of different techniques for specific presentations. Um, So some of those are more depotentiation focused and some are more potentiation focused. So depotentiation is all about unlearning or removing the trauma or the unhelpful belief. And potentiation is about learning the, um, you know, the new belief about consolidating something that you want in your life. So all of the potentiation ones you might find, and that's what we lean towards when we're working with people um, at a distance. So, for example, if I'm my videos are on demand, I'm not there seeing you and and engaging with you as you're doing them. So I keep it safe by keeping it to potentiation focused in the majority. I'm not going to try to take somebody through a high level trauma, you know, at a a distance and not be there with them to take care of them. So what I would say is that you may find that if you're trying to potentiate or learn or develop a new belief, and bring it into your life because all of our beliefs, um, they motivate our actions and our behaviours and our thoughts. So that's that's kind of the, at the crux of it. Um, you might find that if something isn't potentiating, it's not actually moving and changing as we as we so desire. It might be because you need to depotentiate something. Um, and so while we can do that with kind of lighter situations so for example um, it's completely fine to um, use havening techniques um, when you're self-havening for 
a situation that may have just happened that isn't like a 10. Let's say from zero to 10, we're fine to self-haven to a five, let's say. But five and up, like if we say that, you know, that's the intensity of it, we probably want to be going to a certified practitioner so that you're taken care of in the process. So so what I'm saying is that you might come across a, um, you know, it is important to release the past in order to be present in the future. And so the past, if if you're having challenges, it might be that the past needs to be depotentiated, I guess, is is my point. (laughs) Yeah. So my next question would be, um, do you set up a certain time to do this? Like, do you sort of make sure that you have a certain space and a certain time or is this something that you just kind of do on the fly? I will use it on the fly um, depending on what's happening. So if I've got something that's important to me coming up, I'll haven before it and I'll potentiate some kind of a, you know, whatever I want the outcome to be. And it's not to force something. It's more about I would like to be, you know, um, I'd like to express myself clearly. I'd like to, you know, that those kinds of those those kinds of wants. Um, so I will use it for a specific situation coming up, or if um, something's just happened and I've gotten discombobulated, <laughs> um, I'll use it then. Um, but generally I like to do something in the morning. And for me, it changes from I might self-haven in the morning um, to set up my day. Uh, So, you know, if there's, you know, just to bring myself into that really nice self-regulating flexible place to be able to give my day its best shot. Um, Sometimes I'm feeling good, it's all good, and then I'll do it at night as well to kind of, you know, so I'm, I don't have those ruminating thoughts at night about anything that might have happened. Mm, Quite often I don't yeah. feel the need to do it. I won't do it. But morning and night is good. And if I'm particularly busy or if I feel like I'm getting fast, I'll do it in the middle of the day. But I don't force any kind of exact routine. I, it's likely that I'll do it at least one of those times in the day um, and as required But what I noticed when I first started doing it was it was because I was changing quite a fast uh, system. But if I didn't do it by midday, I would kind of be lost to myself again, you know, and I'd be in the external world, like drawn on things in the external world that weren't useful to me. You know, I was getting dysregulated into that. And so what I found very useful, and I would definitely recommend this for people that are having challenges shifting their stress state, is, um, is to just, like, it's not a lot of time to, to invest in really the ability to be responsive in your life. You know, like, if we're reactive, it affects our relationships you know, that affects our work life, it affects our family life. Um, you know, there's lots of really important reasons to take care of ourselves. You know, it, it affects the way that we feel about ourselves, How you know, whether we feel that we're, um, you know, whether we're proud of ourselves, things like that, you know, and they're really important. They're underlying. Yeah, mm. definitely. So, 
based on your experience, do you have any other sort of recommendations um, that you would combine with havening or to sort of improve the um, effectiveness of havening? So I would say this would be my, you know, uh, super smoothie combination (laughs) Um, would be to be self-havening regularly, daily, or at least, you know, every second day, let's say, or at least a couple of times a week. Um, And if you're aware of any uh, traumas or challenging beliefs that you go see a havening practitioner every so often, but then you can also, you know, as I said before, it's really important to do the other things like so to be exercising gently, you know, um, and regularly, to be taking care of your sleep, to be taking care of the light exposure that you you have, um, to be aware of how much you're using the screens and the devices and, you know, all of that stuff, to be, you know, so, and, and meditation is a big part of my life as well. Like I have um, a spiritual life that's really important to me. Um, so, so, and everybody each to their own, people have different, uh, religious leanings or whatever. What's important, I think, is to have, I'm doing more research on the idea of flow and, uh, so, you know, optimal state or the, you know, how do we really move ourselves into a, a place of fulfillment and um, with the different activities and tasks that we do in the day. And um, there is uh, th- there's a lot of different research, but one person in particular, Michal Ches, sorry, my little dog, he's just on a little shakety-shake. Chesent Mackay. I'm not sure how you pronounce his name, um, but he's done a lot of research um, and he talks about the fact that we need to be doing different things. We need a diversity of things in our lives. And I think this is true of food, of routine, of uh, what we see, the air we smell. I've seen research that speaks to all of that. Hold on two seconds. I have to put my little doggy under his blanket. (laughs) No, you're right. (laughs) Please do. Oh, bless his little soul. (laughs) Um, Yeah, so diversity is really important. Um, But also just as important is the fact that we don't over-challenge ourselves, but we challenge ourselves. So we have goals to do certain things and it's right-sized. I think this concept of right-sizedness is really useful um, because what we want, we want to be able to respond to a situation proportionately. That's being self-regulated, yeah? So if it requires you to stand up for yourself, you can. If it requires for you to then shift to be like, oh, sorry, that was a mistake, I get it, you know what I mean? Like then you're able to. so our, our responses are right-sized um, for, you know, from our opinion, not from somebody else's opinion. And, and I think it's the same with the things that we choose to do in our lives. So 
the tasks that we do, the, the kinds of things we want to achieve, they match who we are and what we can do. And, and it doesn't mean that we don't um, challenge ourselves a little bit but if we challenge ourselves too much all the time, it's going to move us into a state of overwhelm or being stressed. And if we don't challenge ourselves at all, wow. we, we, we move into this place of kind of repetitive boredom. So, so, let's find, so it's about finding the sweet spot. And I think that's very much about this kind of fluid balance all the time where we're sort of juggling all these different things. And that can work because it's about approach. It's about that I can deal with anything because I, I trust that things don't have to be perfect and I trust that things change Yeah, because that's life. It's constantly expanding and contracting, you know. That's actually something that I, I'm – Yeah, definitely. Yeah, really uh, – interested in that concept of flow because it comes back to movement as well. We can move in a way that, and I found this, this is how, uh, you know, after I got injured the first time I then was in, you know, I had different states of that sort of coming back a little bit and then, and then I'd clear it out again. And I realized that I was bringing tension into my body to, to sort of bring, energy into a particular shape for dance or for whatever I was doing. And I started to realize over the years that the energy was sometimes really flowing and effortless. And sometimes it was um, too hard and too forced. And I would inevitably feel either like, like I'd lost a heap of energy or I would feel a bit injured and I realized that yeah. it's, not, it's not better to work harder. It's, it's better to work in that flow state. And so it, it's uh, transferable to your body, to your mind, and to your emotions, all of these, these concepts. Um, yeah, so it's the approach. No, that's so interesting, yeah, just those – connections and yeah the approach that's quiet and that kind of goes into the audience question that we've got so we're going to go into audience questions now um so this question is asking how can an individual um remain resilient and maintain self-regulation against pain or trauma that seems to have no solution or an ending yeah yeah, it's um, they say that um, hopelessness or helplessness, they're some of the hardest emotions to feel. That's, that's mm-hmm. yeah, that's a really yeah. challenging place to be. And all I would say is that... <clears throat> because I've been in that place where I felt like I was never going to um, recover from that back injury when I was 18. It was a terrible feeling of there's so much that comes up, a feeling of failure that, yeah, you know, and and this feeling of like my body's failing me too, 
you know? So, so there's a lot of other oh, stuff. Yeah. That As a dancer, up. I can totally relate. <laughs> yeah. Oh, really? Yeah. Yeah. So do you dance here? Yeah. So I had a, I have a background in classical ballet, oh. um, but I had an injury when I was 16 and I pretty much just like tore my ankle to shreds in a performance and um, they told me that I could never move sort of in like with my point shoes, I could just never go further. So that was something. So now I do, I do salsa dancing um, and like Latin dancing um, essentially, but I still, I still miss ballet, but yeah, they were like, I was like 15, 16. And the doctor was like, point shoes are never going to be a thing for you. So I can definitely, I understand sort of like what it's like to sort of be in that situation. Obviously, yeah, back injury is different. Um, but yeah, it's still sort of like oh, it's, knocked it's it on the head. Smart. And I was like, okay, well, that's something that I love that I have to kind of like no longer do and you feel like helpless and hopeless because it's a physical injury and you're like I can't sort of like think my way out of this it's just something that I have to um come to terms with so yeah I can on a certain level I I can definitely relate (laughs) yeah and like it's exactly like you know being told that something's off the table now that potentially you're very invested in it's a really big blow so what I would say is that there so that whole body brain system is involved in that situation. You know, there's the mental aspect, the emotional and the physical. Mm. And so really we have to treat all of them in order to take care of ourselves. Now, and that may mean, you know, so for example, you've made different choices. You found the opportunity I think what's important is to try to find the opportunity, you know, to, to so, so um, yes, yeah, so, so the opportunities that exist for what was in the, the question exactly? Would you mind repeating it? Yeah, of course. So the question was um, how can an individual essentially remain resilient and maintain self-regulation in the face of sort of a trauma that feels like it's never going to end? Yeah, Yeah, look, I think one of the first things that we do need to do is to get support. Um, So whenever we're feeling hopeless or helpless, I think we need to um, recruit, (laughs) recruit on a number of levels. Um, So so it might be family, friends or um, community. So groups can be very helpful for people that are... um, all sharing a similar experience in recovery from chronic pain, for example, Um, and they talk about ways that they're dealing with it. And I think sometimes it's very difficult when you're dealing with something that just feels impossible to to have somebody who's able-bodied and able-minded sitting across from you going, so why don't you try this? You know, it feels really like a bit of a kick in the face. So sometimes groups, um, group support can be um, very effective. Um, but I, and I think so your support is about balancing the the people that, um, you know, it's kind of conversational where it's a little bit therapeutic um, and, and also community-based. And then you have um, more of a professional 
support. And I think with that, hopefully you're getting what you need. Um, but as in you're getting the input that you need from others to help you, to keep you in a place of hope. Like I do know that it is possible through happening techniques. I'm actually going to do a, a special um, advanced training on August the 4th and oh. um, all about pain because I'm very interested in it. Um, it's a big part of my uh, experience and it's a big part of a lot of dancers' experiences. Yeah. So I know a lot of people that are dealing with pain um, and I'd love to help them because there's nothing worse than the, all of a sudden, like if dance is what you do, it's your profession and you can't, it's really impossible. And that's like many people, many people are having that experience in all different kinds of industries. So, um, but it is possible with havening techniques definitely to reduce and sometimes to erase the pain completely. Like I've, I've had other accidents, car accidents and bicycle accidents that have stacked on the pain story in my body around my neck and I, I snapped one of the tendons oh, wow. and my shoulder blade into place. Um, and so, so for years I had migraines and, um, <clears throat> terrible pain through my upper back and my neck and my neck just, I used to, my neck used to go out all the time or that's what I thought. But now I understand actually with pain and of course you have to look after things from a medical point of view, as well as from the psychosomatic point of view and to say psychosomatic, it doesn't underrated yeah. at all pain is very real from a psychosomatic point of view but it's important to recognize it as that because then what we can do is we can work with it and that so so that kind of pain where their pain has become a story in the body um and mind of course um that it is it becomes much more sensitive to pain it's got this this i guess patterned response so rather than it necessarily being um, required for inflammation to happen, it becomes a story. And that's where havening techniques can get in and depotentiate the stories so that it's not, so inflammation yeah. is not constantly popping up where it doesn't need to. Because it's kind of like, you know, I said this, how do you go to work? Do you mm. always go to work down that path? If you know pain, you're always doing pain then sometimes you go to pain yeah. when it's an emotional pain as opposed to an actual, you know. Um, so so yeah. the body does all sorts of interesting things to cope, to feel emotions or to not feel emotions um, and, and how it associates. It's pattern matching all the time. You know, like I said before, um, we our bodies are this brilliant pattern matching system and so what they do is, so we don't have to learn something new in every moment. We go, well, that thing that looks like a computer, it's not a Mac, it's a PC, but it's a computer. I can recognise computers, right? Um, I can recognise the yeah. female body to the male body because I know that male bodies look like that, female bodies look like that. You know what I'm saying? Like we, we have so much of this stored in our body-brain system so that we don't have to work it out new every time. And so, but sometimes those associations, that pattern matching gets mixed up into negative um, or unhelpful and um, and unhealthy patterns that, that diminish our, our ability to live fully in the world. 
So it's possible to move through this stuff, but you need support, I think, is the, is the takeaway. Um, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Definitely. Yeah, it's the it's definitely the the biggest aspect when it comes to that, especially something that's ongoing. You're going you're definitely going to need um that support and that system around you. And that's why, yeah, things like groups and mm. just even professionals. Um yeah, it's it's important to kind of yeah, take those um steps for yourself. And it can be scary and daunting as we know, but um yeah, it's an important step, especially if those things are are ongoing to create a space where you know you're you're safe and you can you can talk about it. Yeah. So we're going to move into open mic now. So this is essentially where you as a guest talk about anything that you're passionate about. It doesn't have to be related to self-regulation or anything. So I'll hand it over to you, Cara. Yeah, look, I'm just gonna talk a little bit more about where I was headed in a few of the questions is this idea of habit and the idea of response patterns, because really that's what we're dealing with all the time. You know, because we're this pattern matching system, we respond and we get used to particular ways of responding. And that, that sort of informs or instates particular ways and approaches in our lives. And so and I just always like to think about this as a um, there's a wonderful practitioner that I learned a lot uh, from when I was doing my master's and about somatic practices. And her name is Bonnie Bainbridge Cullen, and she created the body mind centering um I guess uh organization where it's all about experiential anatomy. And she talks about... Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah, it's a wonderful way of learning because, you know, <laughs> we get around in this body and uh, if I asked you how, how many bones or uh, were in your hands and feet, could you... Do you know how they all work? Do you know how they impact on... No. <laughs> right, but how many people... No, but very few of us know. Whereas what she does, she does this extraordinary thing where she goes through every system of the body and just yeah you move into the different parts of your body and systems of your body um from an experiential place rather than from a cognitive theoretical place and what that does is it just brings you into a knowledge of your body that you never had before and um, and so anyway, at the very base of what she talks about is this idea of expanding and contracting or expanding and condensing are the words she uses, that our cells, we have 35, this is my favourite subject just quietly, we have 35 million, a trillion cells. <laughs> um, a wonderful practitioner spoke about this to me and explained this stuff to me. And um so th we're made up of 35 trillion cells and they're expanding and condensing all of the time because what they're doing is this thing called cellular respiration. So, you know, everything that is matter in the universe is made up of oscillating um, atoms so that we're not actually dense, we're actually oscillating atoms, you know. And so when you think about that and that's what my body's composed of and there's these cells, trillions of cells, 
they they have this kind of respiration, this movement that because they're they're breathing in nutrients um, and then uh, expelling whatever they don't need, um, so any toxins or anything like that. And so once we kind of move into a place of imagining those 35 trillion cells in our body and they're always condensing and expanding, there's kind of, if we move into that, we feel a, there's like a tone or a rhythm that is our own personal rhythm. Mm, yeah. And uh, this is a really interesting thing to start to get into connection with and to sense in your body because once you start to know your own yeah. internal rhythm, you can be with it rather than moving outside of it um, and, and you can mm. take care of it. And, and what's important is that this cellular respiration supports our actual external respiration, so our actual breath patterns. So when the internal, um, yeah. so the cellular respiration is working well, it supports everything else. So in a similar way to the nervous system being this flexible thing, we're innately flexible. We're innately opening and and contracting. And that's a really great kind of message for life. It's like everything around you, the moon, the sun, the plants, everything is, is um growing and then dying, growing and then dying. And while we have our big trajectory of life where we grow and then we diminish and we do die, we also have every moment that grows and dies. And we can allow ourselves to approach situations from from that kind of conceptual framework as well is that, yeah, this relationship has grown and now it's it's died <laughs> and that's okay you know like yeah. that's the natural <laughs> yeah. life of some relationships you know mm. like sometimes they last for longer like so there's all these different periods or durations for different lifespans of things but i think if we can approach life from that and and then so we where we become aware of our internal patterns we become aware of our mental patterns, our emotional patterns, response patterns. Then we're able to work out what we want and what we don't want, what's helpful and what's not helpful. And we can, you know, obviously with happening techniques, we can depotentiate yeah. or potentiate, but also, you know, we can use meditation or we can, um, you know, bring diversity into our lives so that we don't, always do the same run so we're not sick of it you know and then wonder why we don't want to go for a run anymore yeah that's so um, interesting yeah so look I just wanted to speak to that because I just think it's a really it's a very big picture concept that helps to understand that everything universally and like that's how you know I guess it depends what you believe of course but from a big bang point of view that the universe is constantly growing it's constantly growing it never stops. Yeah. So we are constantly growing if we allow ourselves to contract too. We kind of need that contraction mm. to be able to rebound. You know, it's sort of like the re- like we go to sleep yeah. at night. We need that. 
in order to come out the next day. So I just think that seeing the full cycle and noticing where our response patterns are either allowing us to have that full cycle of activation and then rest and digest. It just is, I think it helps. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. That's so interesting. And yeah, I find that so fascinating. <laughs> Thank you for talking about that. Cause yeah, it's so interesting, especially when you yeah look at it in terms of like havening techniques and meditation um, and all those kinds of things. So yes, thank you for that. Um, and that brings us pretty much to the end of our podcast. Um, thank you so much, Cara, for being here. We've had a great time. Learned so much today. Yay. Thank you so much, Tia. I really appreciate it. The opportunity has been really fun. No, it was great. Um, and for those who want to find out more about you and what you do, uh, where can they go? Um, my website is resilientmindsandbodies.com and it's the word and not the symbol. So resilientmindsandbodies.com or else on Instagram, I'm the same at resilientmindsandbodies. So either of those places you'll find yeah. um, whatever you need. Perfect. Awesome. Well, thank you so much, Cara. Um, yeah, I've enjoyed that so much. So yes, thank you for blowing my mind <laughs> and for um, our listeners. Uh, don't forget to like and subscribe on whatever platform you're listening on and we'll see you next time bye guys thanks so much Tia. you have been listening to bouncing back the personal resilience science insights podcast produced by the life management science labs listen to episodes from lmsl's 10 life management perspectives on apple podcasts google podcasts spotify youtube or other podcasting apps on your smartphone if you enjoyed this episode, please consider rating our show, sharing it, and subscribing to our channel as it helps others find us and us grow to bring you more quality resources. More of our work can be found on our website at pr.lmsl.net where you can join our movement. I'm Tia Hama. Thanks for tuning in.